0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby say Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the can, take a deep seat and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. We're in the second part of a three- to four-part series, just depending on time. And um, last week, it, it, the, the series is called Unconventional Christianity. Okay, unconventional Christianity. And the re- it, last week we talked about sometimes there's no super spiritual answer to what you're going through. Okay, some of you might be worn out. Okay, and, and, and I've been there, man. You just feel like you're at the end of your rope and you're praying, God, oh, oh, oh. well, maybe you're worn out because you're too busy. Okay, uh, maybe you need a nap, you know, or or maybe maybe you just haven't been feeling good and you're like, God, you know, I just, I don't feel right. I'm lethargic. And, and that's a really big word for a Texan by the way. And so, um, you know, you're just feeling run down. And I said, maybe you need to eat better. You know, you put junk in, you're going to get junk out. Sometimes there's, there's, there's not a super spiritual answer to our problems. We talked about, uh, Elijah and Moses and how they prayed for for this stuff and, and you know, God said, you need a nap and some biscuits and gravy. You know, he told that to Elijah and Moses was so busy and God was like, well, get somebody to help you silly. Moses was a cowboy. We don't ask for help very well. So uh, last week we talked about answers and the fact that sometimes there is no super spiritual answer. Today, we'll talk about the things, the things that are holding you back can be the same things that propel you forward. And it's all a matter of perspective. So uh, Robert is out of town and, and I know y'all online don't know Robert, but he's one of the ranchers that that I help out with and, and, and do a lot. It's where a lot of my sermon illustrations come from and our ranch and out at Robert's and other places. But Robert's out of town this week. He's up in Canada also uh, doing something. And so he asked me to look after his place and, and he also takes care of what they call the, the Malone Family Foundation, which is right here around the, around the ag building. And so I went out early, uh, I guess it was Friday morning. We had rode everything on Tuesday. He showed me where everything was and then he left on Wednesday and then I went out to check all of his pastures on, on Friday morning and got all of that done. And I, and I had a wedding rehearsal at uh, about one30 and so I was trying to get everything done. I was up at daylight and, you know, get out there horseback and you're riding his ranch. And, and so I come into town and come up here uh, just north of the fairgrounds here. And, and I had been talking to my wife on the way in and she said, well, do you need me to get you some good clothes out to do this wedding rehearsal? And I said, well, I'm going to be kind of cutting it short, but if everything goes well, I'll be home. And if you don't mind putting me some... Good clothes out that that way I don't smell like a cow or a horse whenever I go to this wedding rehearsal. And so I hung up the phone with her and I unlocked the gate and I threw the gates open and I pull in and I cross the cattle guard and there is thirty steers where they shouldn't have been. So I look out across there and I dial the phone again and I said, I'm not gonna be home. Now this is at like eleven Eleven forty-five, something like that, and I've got to leave at like twelve thirty or twelve forty-five to make it to this wedding rehearsal. And I don't know how these steers got out. They're not in the pasture. They should be in. Now, they had water and grass, so that was no problem. But I was like, oh my gosh, trying to get them back in where they're supposed to be and then try to figure out how they got out. And so I got behind them and I pushed them around and they went right where they were supposed to go, luckily. And then I found right there by the set of pins where they had knocked a panel down. And so I figured out where they got out. And, but the problem was is that I didn't know how many were in the wrong pasture. I knew how many were right there, but I didn't know how many others might be scattered along the creek. So I pushed them in there. So I had to get a really good count on on these, on these steers. And so I I pushed them through and I start walking down by the creek where a lot of them are bedded down underneath a, a shade tree and some are drinking. And I, and I start counting and I see one steer on the wrong side of the fence. And I looked at that thing and the temptation started hammering on me right then because I'm looking at my watch and I'm looking at that steer and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm looking at that steer. Now, if you've never worked cattle before, it's easy to push 50 head of cattle, 100 head of cattle, 800 head of cattle. It's easy to push them places. Go try to push one. It's a different story. So I'm looking at this steer, and I think, well, if I don't see him, he's not there. <laughs> and I'm looking back at my watch, and I look back over there, and I'm like, you know, We all know what we're supposed to do. We know the right thing to do, but that temptation to do it some way that would make it easier. I mean, he's on the wrong side of the fence, but he's still on the ranch. He's got food. He's got water. And I come up with a thousand different excuses to give into that temptation not to do what I was asked to do. So I finally took a deep breath in through my nose, out through my mouth. (sighs) As Ty said, <sighs> so I lope up there. It's kind of an alley that leads to the creek, so that they can all drink. And um, I open up the gate and I lope back down to try to get this steer. And I and I don't know if y'all uh, know what a what a locust tree is here in Colorado. For for y'all that are in Texas and other places, it's just a cousin of the mesquite. I mean, it's it's it can get pretty big around and everything, and it's a really hardwood. And they've got cowboy killer thorns on them about this long. So I get around that, that steer. And, and what's, what's equally hard than just pushing one is when the rest of them are standing right, right here beside you on the other side of the fence, drinking water. And you're trying to push that steer away from where his buddies are. So I say a little prayer and I start talsing him and come on. And he goes over there and he goes right into this big locust patch. And so I'm like, I don't want to go in there. And so I kind of pull Budhead, and we kind of go in there and he just kind of looks at us and then circles right back around, stands in the same spot. And I was like, "Ah." looking at my watch, looking at the steer, looking at my watch, looking at the steer. So I go back and I get around him again and I start pushing him and he kind of trots in through there and then he stops. And as soon as he stops and as soon as I enter it, he knows he can come right back around because he can beat me out. And so that happens a second time. And I'm like, okay, if you don't go this time, I'm going to rope you, right? And, and which I really wasn't because it, it, if you rope them, then you got to get the rope off. And, and so I just started praying harder and I, so I got around him again. And, and then, and then I did my cowboy war cry. And if anybody would have been anywhere near the Creek that day, they would have heard like bloodthirsty screams. So I got my rope out and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And, and we hit that locust patch at about a, about a eighths run. And I thought, well, I'm from Texas. These, these thorns ain't nothing. I, I, I don't like thorns anymore. And so anyway, I got him through there and, and, and we start going up this hill to where the gate is. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know, I'm looking at my watch. I'm looking at the steer and he's just walking along like he's supposed to. And, and he gets right up to the gate, literally in line with the H-brace and he stops. And he turns around and he looks at me. I said, like, don't you do it. I will rope you right here. I'll tie you to that H-brace. Come back after the wedding rehearsal, right? And it looked like that steer took a big old deep breath and he just walked through. There's always gonna be temptation, okay? There's always a temptation. The the Bible says that sin is anything that we know we should do and don't, or maybe in, in the opposite effect of that is maybe there's something that we need to do that we don't, or maybe it's something that we know we shouldn't do but we do, right? And the temptation is always there. The devil is the author of temptation, okay? Um, unconventional Christianity, you know, a a lot of times it it breaks my heart because I'll talk to people and and they'll say, I just don't know why God is tempting me with this. Listen, God is never going to dangle an addiction in front of you. God is never going to have you click on a website or, or I don't know what you're going through, whatever struggle it is, but God is not the author of temptation. All right. God is never going to tempt you with something that would take you away from him just to see how big of a man you are or how strong of a woman you are. God is not the author of temptation. The devil is the author of temptation. His goal, his only goal, well, his only goals, I should say, is to take you away from God. And he's going to bait you out. He's going to be like, hey, man, look at this. This, is, this looks better and he's gonna try to get you to come over there and and, and away from the trail that God wants you to be on. He wants to hurt you spiritually, and he does it through temptation. And, and you know, temptation is is never, uh, uh it, it's, it always looks better than that steep, narrow trail that God wants us to ride. It's an easy, wide road to destruction. Oh, you ain't got to worry about that, man. That steer's on the other side of the fence. He'll be there the next time you check it. He's got water. He's got grass. You got somewhere to be. But can you... Can you avoid that temptation and say, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to give in to temptation. And, and, and between services, me and Jason were talking and um, I said, you, you know, that 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 feeling that you get in your stomach when you're really being tempted and you're like, man, if I don't give in to that temptation, the pain's going to be too much to bear. Well, I, I used to think, I used to give into temptation because I didn't like the feeling. It was as, as soon as you gave into the temptation, the feeling went away. So I was like, oh, giving into temptation must be good because the pain goes away. But i changed the way I've thought about that because I don't think that that is the pain of temptation anymore. What that feeling that you feel is, is it's God giving you strength. It's God building up strength within you so that you can overcome. I mean, anytime you work out, nobody ever worked out well without getting tired, without being sore. That feeling that you have inside isn't the pain of temptation. It's strength building up in you. And it's amazing to me how in my life, so many times this strength that's building up in me, I gave into the temptation, but it makes the pain go away. But really what it is, is you're giving your strength away. You're saying, you know what? I I don't want that strength. And we wonder why we take, you know, we work so hard to push the boulder, you know, five feet up the hill. And then as soon as it gets a little rough, we just let it roll back down and we just trudge back down and doing the same thing over and over and over and wondering why we don't ever get anywhere. The answer to temptation is simple. I didn't say that the answer to temptation was easy. Okay. The answer to temptation is. Is always no. Because the devil is the author of temptation. He's going to do whatever he can. And, and and you know what? I don't know what your struggles are. You don't know what my struggles are. But we're all struggling nonetheless. And that devil is going to put right in front of you. Uh, that thing that your sinful nature wants more than anything in this world. But when we give into it. That pain goes away. That feeling in your stomach goes away. But it's not the temptation that's taking it away. It's us handing our strength over. The answer to temptation is simple. It's no, but there's good news because just because God doesn't tempt us, He will help us. In First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, Paul says, "No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Look, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what struggles are going on in your life right now. I don't know how hard it is. I don't know your financial background or your spiritual background or your physical background. I don't know anything about it. But I do know that what you're going through, you're not alone." It says right here, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Everybody goes through a version of it. You're not the only one. And you have the power to say no because it says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, that doesn't mean that he's causing the temptation, but he's, if you're being tempted, you have the strength to say no, and it's not strength that comes from yourself. You can feel it when God starts building it up inside of you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. First Corinthians 10, 13. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And what's the way out? No, it really is as simple as that. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. Just say no. You may have to just go somewhere else. You may have to call a friend. You call me, unless I'm in the pasture, I'll answer it or I'm doing something else. But whatever you need to do, God will give you a way out. So you, you can't say I'm being tempted. I can't bear it. Yes, you maybe you can't, but you and God together can. You just have to build that strength up to say no because when you do say no, it infuses you. And the next time it, the devil tempts you with that, you're gonna be stronger and it's not gonna be quite as hard to say no. And the next time it'll be a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. The problem is, is that he knows, uh, the devil knows us. I'm not saying that you'll ever be rid of temptation, but you will start to be able to say no. Here's an unconventional thought. Temptations are traps set by the devil and the answer is always no. Man, the devil wants to trap you right here. He wants to trap you in mediocrity, okay? He wants to, he wants you to stay right where you're at. He doesn't want you following God. He doesn't want you to be a force to be reckoned with. He doesn't want you to reach other people with the gospel where they'll spend eternity in heaven instead of somewhere else with him. He doesn't want that. He wants to trap you right where you are. And he's going to do it with temptation every single time. And the answer is always no, I'm not going to give in. That steer walked through the, through the gate. And whenever I was coming in, I could see the rest of the the steers up on the side of a hill over here. And so I struck a long trot over there because I needed to get a really good count. Because when you got cattle out, you don't know if any are missing or not. So I knew I had to get a really good count. And if if you've never tried to count a bunch of cattle out in the pasture, it's like counting leaves on a tree. Okay, it's like one, two, three. Wait, did I count that one? Oh, no. Start over, right? And, and th- that's what it is. But I knew I had to get a good count. I knew I didn't have much time left. So me and Bud Head, we struck a long trot and even loped some. And I get over there to the corner and there's, there's a bunch of cattle laying there. And I start counting them and I mess up like four times. And so anyway, I kind of got them up and checked their eyes, checked their feet and made sure everything was okay. And, and then they kind of just lined, you know, kind of circled around me and I was able to get a good count. There was 39 of them in that corner. And I look back towards the creek. And like i said there 's a lane that runs all the way down to the creek, so all of them can water out of that pasture and I looked down there, and they all those cattle that were down there had seen that one walk through that deal, and they wanted to come see what their buddy had been up to and they literally, literally lined up and were all walking in a single file line like they were in kindergarten or something and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can get a good count on them now so here' bye, so we go. Loping over there and sure enough, that, that mot face that I had put through the, through the gate, he was in the lead and they were all lined up and I've never been able to count cattle easier than that. It was like 40, 41, 42, 43, 45, 46, 47, you know, you just get bored out there. So anyway, so I got a good count and I start getting down there close to the creek and there was still a few of them bottled up. 171, 172. 173, 174, 175. The exact count that was supposed to be in that pasture. Man, I went over there and loaded Bud Head up in the trailer and we went. I I took my shaps off at the wedding rehearsal. I was like, sorry, sorry, let me get out of this, you know. But here's the deal I said no to the temptation of doing what I. What I knew was right. I mean, I knew I should have gone and got that one, right? And I did. Regardless of being late, regardless of being anything, I didn't give in the temptation to just leave him there. I knew that wasn't right. I went and checked on the other cattle and got a good count, had every single one, and it was spot on. And when you do not give in to temptation, here's the result. Saying no to temptation led to peace. I was able to pull up to that, that wedding rehearsal without a thought in the world. I don't know about you. But even though it might have been okay to leave that steer in that pasture, you know what it would have done? It ate on me because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I knew that there needed to be something done. And if I didn't do it, it would have started eating on me because saying no to temptation leads to peace. When you do it the right way, it may be hard in the beginning, but the result is peace. But when we give in to temptation, it leads to stress and worry and regret. I would have worried about it the whole time. My mind would not have been fixed on anything else because I've been like, well, I wasn't able to get a good count. And I, you know, is there some other ones, you know, left out? Always say no to temptation. When you do things the right way, even if it's the hard way, it leads to peace. Giving in to temptation always leads to stress, worry, and regret. A couple of years ago, Uh, me and a good friend of mine, uh, John were, were kind of doing some remodeling on the house. We were doing some reciting and everything. And, uh, our house used to the back door, you walked in the back door and there was literally four doors. There was a square and there was four doors. You went in the back door, shut the door. You opened the door to the left and there was the laundry room. You opened the door. There was the basement. You opened another door and there was the kitchen. Now, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking back then, but my wife, hated it. Right. And so when we're going to put new siding on the house and everything, she asked me, she goes, can we move the back door three feet over this way where it leads right into the kitchen? Now, I don't know about you guys. Is my wife the only one that wants to move a door three feet? And so she she says, let's move the door three feet. And I said, absolutely. Of course, we can move that three feet, (laughs) baby, whatever you want, man, I'm here to please. But what I didn't think about was when you move the door three feet, it's really hard to move the concrete steps that weigh nine tons over three feet also. So now, whenever you opened up the back door before John got the uh, deck built, which wasn't very long, you stepped out and if you stepped out with your right foot, you land right on the concrete steps. You got one guess where the left foot would go, well. One night, she, she had gone out to do something in the backyard, and I heard her, honey, honey. Well, I didn't know if there's a snake or what. So I didn't even turn the back porch light on, and it was dark, and I threw open that back door, and I run out there. I took one step and took another step, and nothing was there. Poof. She was going to show me the moon. She's like, look how pretty it is. <laughs> so I'm laying there on the ground. <clears throat> And a couple of thoughts went through my mind that day, that evening, laying there. It had, it had rained, right? So it was muddy. I've literally, like the cartoons, I've got my face in mud. And I lift my face up, and I wanted so bad to blame her. I wanted to blame anybody on this earth. If you would have been around, I'd have blamed you too. I didn't care about anything except that there was no oxygen left on earth, and I'm covered in mud. Do I blame somebody else? or I I chose door number two. I sat up on my knees and I laughed. I just laughed. What's better? Just just to laugh and have a good story for later or have a big old knockdown drag out with your wife who didn't do anything wrong. She wanted to show me something beautiful. See, in Matthew chapter five, verse 45, Jesus says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And what that says to me is that there's gonna be trials in your life, okay? Now, did... Was God paying me back for some unrepented sin? Is that why I fell off the porch? No, I fell off the porch because I was in a hurry and I'm an idiot. Okay? Sometimes there's just gonna be things that happen in life. You know, I, I was doing the wedding yesterday and 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 Jason calls and his truck is broke down on on 470. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. God didn't well, Jason, you haven't been reading the good book, so I'm gonna poof. I'm going to kill your truck. God doesn't do that. Okay. It's just life, man. If something moves, it's going to break. And if you're around people, they're going to be stupid. Sometimes just like we are. Sometimes there's going to be things that happen in your life that you didn't do anything wrong and you didn't do anything right. It's just life. You know, God gave us two wonderful, wonderful gifts. He Gave us his son. And number two, he gave you free will. Isn't it amazing? We wonder why there's so many problems in the world. God gave 7 billion of us the freedom to do whatever we want to do. And guess what? Some people make pretty poor decisions, especially driving in Denver. <laughs> pretty close in Elizabeth, even in Kiowa anymore. I mean, it's just—it's it, there's just going to be things that happen. You didn't do anything wrong. You, you can't work your way out of it. There's just going to be things that happen. Your house in Texas where you raised your kid is gonna burn down. Mine did, your dog is gonna get run over. You're gonna get bucked off sometimes. People are gonna say mean things, whether you do it right or you do it wrong. Our response to these trials will either make us stronger or weaker. These trials are gonna happen. The rain falls on the just and unjust. There's just gonna be things in life that just happen, but it's not so important as to what happened. What is your response to what happens? Your response will either make you stronger or weaker. It's like choosing a side, man. There's just this thing that happened. The devil didn't cause it. I think that we give the devil way more credit than he's due sometimes. You know, I mean, step on a goat head. Oh, that devil's trying to get me. It's a goat head. Okay, watch where you're walking. Spray some Roundup on it. I don't know use a hoe and chop it up you know it, well, we shouldn't give him more credit than he's due sometimes things just happen but the right response always makes you stronger when you run into those trials and you're going to go through you may be going through a trial right now what's your response the right response is going to make you stronger the wrong response is going to take you away from god what is your response going to be in Romans 8:28 Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been a call, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that doesn't mean that God causes these trials. Okay. He didn't cause your car to break down. He didn't cause, you know, your dog to get run over. It, sometimes it's just life. But it says that God may not cause it, but he can use it. And if you will make the right response when you're going through one of these trials of life, your right response will make you stronger. The wrong response will make you weaker. The right response will lead you towards God. The wrong response will lead you away from him. Now, I'm not saying that you can get so far away from God that you can't find your way back because he's always one turn back. But why on earth would we make it harder in ourselves than what it is? Is there anything that can help us in knowing the correct response to these trials? Unfortunately, I have been guilty of this and it breaks my heart when I hear other people say it, when they're going through one of these trials, I'm not talking about consequences of poor decisions. Okay. I'm just talking about trials of life, but I've heard, I've heard it come out of my mouth and I, and I hear it quite often come out of other people's mouth. Why is God doing this to me? God's not doing anything to you. Okay. But maybe the question we shouldn't ask is why is God doing this to me? Maybe we should ask what is God going to do with this through me? Because that, that's what that means is that whenever we go through one of these trials and it's just life, our right response, God can use it. And we know that in all things, even the sorry things that happen, the death of a loved one. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but, but unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to cross that final hill. The people you love are going to cross that hill. Our job is to make sure they cross it and go through the right gate, the narrow gate. But what's your response going to be to it when you face these trials? For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. Here's an unconventional thought. Trials are turning points that either lead to or away from God. That thing that you're going through can lead you towards God or away from God because God works for the good in all things for those that believe in Christ Jesus. Handle it the way the good book says. And if you don't know what the good book says about it, maybe you should go read it. There's also a guy named Google that can help. Helps me all the time. So we've talked about temptation. We've talked about trials. Just, you know, those things in life. But the Bible also said that God will test your faith. And here's an unconventional thought from a preacher. I don't like that. I don't like the idea that God is testing me, okay? Because I, I, for, for the life of me, I, I cannot see... That, that God is testing me with a pass or fail, that he's gonna reward me if I get it right and he's gonna punish me if I get it wrong. Does God want you to fail? Absolutely not. So if we don't understand what the tests are, that doesn't make God wrong. Maybe our perspective of these tests are wrong. Does God want us to fail? Is he really setting you up for failure? I don't think so. What if we stopped looking at them as tests In the conventional modern view of that, what if we stopped looking at them as tests with a reward or punishment and started looking at them as opportunities? What if they're just opportunities? Probably no man on earth over a long period of time was was quote unquote tested more than a man named Abraham. You can find his story in Genesis Abraham was the father of the Israel nation. God made him a promise and said, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars and the sand on the beach and and uh, all of that, right? <laughs> the funny thing is Abraham's wife couldn't have kids. Kind of weird for God to say, right? Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. There's a promise embedded in that. But maybe Abraham wasn't tested. Maybe Abraham was given opportunities. You know, he had the home opportunity. God told him, leave your home and go to the land that I have chosen for you. And guess what? Opportunity accepted. There was a famine opportunity. When he finally gets to the land that God had provided for him, there's a famine in the land. So he freaks out and runs to Egypt. Now God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. Opportunity denied. There was a, there was another opportunity where, where Abraham got back to the land of Canaan, which would be later be the land of Israel. And, uh, him and his nephew Lot, who had come with him from the land of Ur or whatever it was, uh, their flocks had grown so big that the that the cowboys were fighting over the choice grazing lands. And so Abraham goes up to Lot and he said, "I don't want there to be any problems between us. So you pick whatever area of this country you want, and I'll take the other." Lot was like, "Well, that's easy." He took the best grassland and the best of everything, the best water, and left Abraham with the desert. There was a flock opportunity. Abraham, Abraham was the boss. He could have said, you're gonna go over here. I'm gonna go over here, but he didn't. He said, you choose, I'll take the other one. Lot chose the choicest grasslands, great grazing. Right in the smack in the big middle of it was also a place called Sodom and Gomorrah, the flock opportunity. God honored Abraham's decision to make peace, opportunity accepted. There was another guy that uh, the king of Sodom tried to tried to pay off Abraham. Abraham wouldn't take any money for, from him. Opportunity accepted. He didn't take any money, became one of the wealthiest men in the region. The family opportunity. Abraham tried to fulfill God's promise of descendants in his own earthly way, leading to tragic problems among Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael. He, he was supposed to have kids. God said he'd give him a kid. So he decided to take matters into his own hands, literally. And Sarah gave him her servant and they had a kid and it caused a lot of problems. Opportunity denied. And then the Isaac opportunity. Take your son, the son whom you love, who ended up being by Abraham and Sarah. Take your son and sacrifice him up on a mountain. So opportunity accepted. So Abraham and Isaac go to this mountain. Isaac is probably late teens, early twenties. He's not a baby. And they're walking up and Isaac knows that they're going to make a sacrifice. And he looks at his dear old daddy and says, we got the wood and we got the knife. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide. He gets him up there and binds his own son up, puts him on the pyre and raises the knife to kill his own son. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, it ain't happening. And what that was, he never intended for Abraham to kill Isaac, but he wanted to make a statement that he would never ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do. And that's exactly what God did when he led his son up on Calvary and sacrificed his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe God's not testing us with a pass, fail, with a reward, punishment. Maybe he's offering us opportunities. These tests are just opportunities that will propel us to places that we could never go on our own. You know, whenever we decided to move up from Texas to Colorado, we didn't know a single person. We had no idea what was in store for us. And I think that it was an opportunity that God was offering Do I think that he would have punished me and my family if I would have stayed in Texas? I do not believe that at all. I think I could have had a very good life down there on the family ranch that my dad was raised on and that I was raising my kids on. My kids didn't know anything else but that ranch. But we decided to up and take God's opportunity. Now, would he have punished me? No, I don't believe that but he led me up here or I came up here. I accepted the opportunity. And now I get along with each and every one of you here and online and on the radio and everything. We get to be part of one of the largest cowboy ministries in the nation. He has taken me places that I could never get to on my own and he'll afford you the same opportunities, but they'll take faith. How do you know if he's given you that? Is because it, it, it's gonna be out of your comfort zone. It's not gonna be what you want. People always say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, if he ever tells you, it'll scare the crud out of you, okay? I'm just telling you. He never says, you know, oh, I'm gonna give you everything that you, know, that, that, that you want that'll take you away from me. No, he'll offer you an opportunity. Will you have the faith, or maybe in cowboy speak, would you have the guts to take the opportunity opportunities that are accepted propel us to places that we want to go, but cannot get there on our own. Opportunities denied or not punished. We'll just stay the same. And I don't want you to stay the same. I want you to grow. I want you to go places. I want you to experience things that you can never experience on your own and you can't get there without accepting the opportunities that come your way. Here's an unconventional thought tests are really opportunities for advancement to who you cannot become on your own.